happens when you put joy, superheroes, and a love of all things good and holy together? You get the Guardians of Virtue podcast, designed for saints who want to fight for the most precious of all gifts of our time, virtue. Join your host, Elisa Lindsay Johnson, that's me, as I discover everyday heroes who all have one thing in common, a desire to fight as Guardians of Virtue for God, freedom, and our families. Let's discover together what it really means to be a guardian of virtue. So on today's episode, I am interviewing Corey Robinson. Corey has an amazing blog and Instagram. Uh, She is amazing at cultivating magic. She talks a lot about magic on her different um, platforms. And and when I mention magic, I I mean magic in the home. She's very creative. Her family matters a great deal to her. And she wants to create a space in her home that is conducive to their her children having magical moments. And I think that is important um, and such a virtuous thing. And uh, I really, truly think that Corey is a guardian of creativity and a guardian of family. We talk about both of those virtues in our interview. So Corey Robinson is a wife and mom of five. She's a former clothing designer, a current lifestyle content creator and designer, and a compulsive maker. She's happiest when she's making something, whether it is a loaf of bread, a dress, or a pleated lampshade. Her goal in life and business is to inspire others to create intentional homes that are not only beautiful, but are a place their family loves to be. She lives in New England with her family where they are fixing up their 233-year-old salt box farmhouse one project at a time. So without further ado, let's do this. Corey, thank you so much for joining me today. Um <laughs> I've been looking forward to this and talking about some things that I I love too. I um I guess maybe I've always thought this way, but maybe with the last general conference talk by Elder or Bishop Cousay, um, it made me feel even more legitimized for the fact that I love creating beautiful spaces in my house and I'm obsessed <laughs> with gardening and and um my neighbors have even like and like you love flowers, don't you? Because I just, <laughs> they're all over in my house. They're all over everywhere. Yes. I have them everywhere. And so um, I wanted to talk to you because I really do feel like you are a guardian of creativity. And um, and on this podcast, I interview people who I think are guardians of specific virtues. And I think creativity is a virtue. Um, and so it's been fun to watch you create your home and uh, I also think you're a guardian of the family, and um, it's very evident through the fact that you talk about your family all the time and talking about being a mom <laughs> and talk about the joys of motherhood. I there's so much of both spectrums online, so it's all you know, mm-hmm. women talking about the burden of motherhood, and so it's nice to see women who you know talk 
good about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of exactly. course, of course, it's challenging. But um, anyway, so thank you for being that yeah. for us to see and um, <laughs> for an example for us to follow. Thank you. Okay, so let's get on with our questions. Um, after observing your work online for a couple of years now, it's obvious to me that you are truly a guardian of creativity and family. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you to be a guardian of creativity and also a guardian of the family? Well, um, it's interesting because um, I think a lot of times we, for some reason, and maybe it's just kind of like the trend of society over the last 60 years, um, we've sort of minimized like the role of creating and and the role of women specifically in in that space um to create a home to create a family um and i think that's really a shame because you know you look at at satan he is destructive but but heavenly father is he's constructive he's creative he's productive and um we are his children and just like your children take after you um, we are meant to take after our Heavenly Father. And I really, truly believe that he intends for us to create and that it's a noble work to create um, a space physically and, um, you know, metaphorically around our family where they feel safe and loved and where it's beautiful. And um, that's, I believe that's noble work. My mom um, made motherhood an art. She made homemaking an art. Um, she made it very beautiful. Um, it. She always seemed like she never treated motherhood or homemaking as a burden, um, especially in front of her kids. Um, she approached it as if it was her life's work and it was a noble work. And as a child growing up with a mom like that, I ne I felt like you know she found a lot of joy and that she was putting like all of her heart and soul and creativity and um, all the talents that she'd been given into this role as a wife and a mom and a homemaker. And it enriched and blessed her children's lives. And so when I became a mom, I felt that, you know, I know what, you know, I've been given in terms of like intelligence, but also in terms of, you know, like natural talent, which I can't even say that I necessarily have, you know, tons of natural talent, but I knew that everything that I was given, I wanted to work. I wanted to put that into my family and then do everything that I could to develop that and that it would bless my family and enrich my family. So I guess, um, you know, this, you only have a certain number of years and it's like a moment in time with your children where you can give them this strong foundation and these roots and it has nothing to do with the place that you live in it's everything to do with the way that you the kind of life that you're cultivating around your children and if you can give them that like solid foundation of faith um and that stability I think that it can just help usher them into their purpose in life and into adulthood ready to take on the world and to be you know pillars of faith in their own way so there you go. <laughs> Thank you. That's perfect. Um, I have never thought of motherhood being an art, like an art form. I love that so much. And it, <laughs> I, I need to, that's something that I need to repeat to myself, maybe on the days that feel really hard. 
<laughs> um, no, this is my art form. I can do this. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, it can be like every aspect of motherhood from the way that you listen to your children to the way that you bathe them and prepare their meals. Like, and it doesn't mean that it has to be fancy or full of stress. It's just more like, it's partly just the way you see yourself as like a mother or what you're, what you're doing for your family. I call myself like the chief magic officer of our home because my, like, I want to create like magic for my family and like flashes of delight. And like, especially when you think about like holidays and how formative they are, those traditions, but a lot of times, like that means that you're just working so hard for so long for so many hours like I always feel like I'm about to collapse by the end of Christmas Eve because it's just so much work all of Christmas season to create these moments and it's like so much work to create the magic for my family but when I remind myself like why I'm doing the things that I'm doing what it's doing for my family and the way that I'm serving them like it gives me the stamina and it gives me the joy it brings all the joy back into what I'm doing um when I just shift my mindset into like that, this is my art that I can create to, you know, glorify God in my own little corner of the world. Everything I do is to bring glory to God. And I try to do that through my motherhood and through everything that I'm doing in my life. So basically. (laughs) Another thing I need to think about chief magic officer, (laughs) you know, and (laughs) I love that. I, uh, there's nothing quite like being in a different room than your children and hearing them play and like, yes, <laughs> experience this magic that you helped create because of the mundane things you do every day, like cleaning or, um, you know, making sure they need to get to where they go or all these different things that can be boring or whatever, but it <laughs> creates some space where our children can flourish and have that creativity of their own yeah so um okay that was ah okay I love it (laughs) uh so to create we honor our divine nature as sons and daughters of God that's something that you mentioned uh and one of my favorite quotes about creation is by President Monson who said God left the world unfinished for man to work his skill upon that man might know the joys and glories of creation um, I would say that you're really good at creating a beautiful home that honors your family life. What is your favorite part about working as a co-creator with God to make your house a home? Um, I mean, you can probably see some of the construction behind me. I'm in my daughter's room. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the quietest space, like away from where the baby's napping. But, um, mm-hmm. So obviously it's a work in progress. But um, to me, well, <clears throat> the way I like to think about I, I don't know. I guess I'm very, I, I studied literature in college, ironically, um, mm-hmm. because I don't do anything with that now. But okay. It makes me think a lot about like symbolism all the time. I'm, you know, and I look at the world and I, you know, God could have just made things very functional, but he made them both functional and beautiful. And I, to me, there that's a sign that, um, you know, he made our, made our bodies and they're beautiful. You look at your tiny newborn baby and it's like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and I think that you know God creates beautiful things because for us to see to show us that he loves us and when we create a beautiful home for our family that is beautiful but also comfortable and makes them feel 
your love and makes them feel loved and safe when they're in it, that we are really, you know, doing what Heavenly Father would want us to do, that we're creating a space that where the spirit can live with our family and where, um, you know, his house, he says, is a house of order. So um, I, I don't think that just means making sure everything is tidy, but also making sure that it's beautiful and uplifting. Yeah. So you mentioned um, creating a space where the spirit can be. So what are some things that you do as a family to um, besides just creating a beautiful space? What are some things you do as a family to make sure the spirit can reside here? I mean, to start, one is just trying to keep order, you know, things like tucking your house in at night and everybody takes part in keeping order in the home. Um, My kids do chores. They clean up after themselves. Um, we all do the dishes after dinner at night. Um, so those are all things, having order, having peace, you know, getting rid of clutter, those kinds of things make a huge difference, which obviously that's always a work in progress, especially when you're like us and living in a constant like construction remodel zone. Mm-hmm. But um, beyond that, um, it's not inviting things into our home that will drive the spirit out. So we're really you know, cognizant of the kinds of things that we're watching, the kinds of music that we listen to. Um, And it's like, I don't like to shame people for what they watch or listen to. I just think of like my own mind as like a space that I don't want to invite something to live in that I, you know, once you invite things to live in your mind, it's really, really hard to get them out. So I just don't want those things cluttering up my mind when there's, there's so much more, there's so many better things that could be in my own mind that could be taking up space in my mind and the same thing with our home um and then also it just really comes down to like the way that we treat each other and the way that we've intentionally built our family relationships so that um that there's not a a strong spirit of contention in our home um you know learning to speak with respect to each other if we're frustrated we can communicate without like getting angry you know, even if you feel angry, you don't have to lose your temper. You know, you can communicate your frustration in an effective and respectful way. Um, and then like just tons of grace, you know, we really embrace like the principles of the atonement in this house. Like if you make a mistake, you can immediately fix it. Like the beauty of the gospel and the atonement is that when you make a mistake, you don't have to like drag out living in a way that you don't want to live like the second you decide that you want to be different like the savior is waiting for you to change so giving each other a lot of grace when you make a mistake say sorry and we give you grace and we try again and just that feeling of like and it makes everybody feel that they're in a place where they're safe and loved Mm -hmm. and where they can keep trying to be better and that their family will give them the opportunity to change and to have like by giving them the grace of allowing them to make a mistake, but then try again. Yeah, that I think also, and this is a part of motherhood that's Mm -hmm. awesome, is that doing that kind of stuff provides them with the tools necessary to be able to do that for themselves when they're gone. And like giving themselves grace and learning from mistakes and all that stuff. Um, So yeah, those Mm -hmm. are all good, amazing things. And, you know, I had a thought when you, you said, tuck your home in at night is that what you said yeah I, uh, which we we do that too I don't I'm not so articulate in calling it that but but 
that made me think you do use your like your uh degree or what you went to college for because you have like C C M O chief magical officer or whatever and then motherhood is an art form and tucking your home in like <laughs> I think that <laughs> you're good with words um oh well, thank you <laughs> I don't feel like I am anymore. I'm mom brain all the time. Oh. I was like asking my kids, what's that word? You know, oh, like I, this. I can never remember. <laughs> I think that happens to the best of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is a very selfish person, not like selfish question. Um, I am obsessed with old homes. I watch TV shows <laughs> about renovating old homes. <laughs> So I just wanted to ask you, because you live in a really old home, 230 years old, is that what? About? Yes. Well, 233 this year. Okay. <laughs> yes. Very um, old. <laughs> just getting older and older. So um, what do you love about living in an old home? And what are some challenges that come with living in <laughs> and renovating an old home? Oh, boy. <laughs> Buckle up. Um. <laughs> I, I love, so I've always loved old things. Like I, I loved, my mom was a big like garage sailor, um, you know, out in the, on the East coast, they call it tag sales, but we, I grew up in California and we would always go to garage sales on Saturdays. And, um, my aunt was like this amazing antique collector. And I've just always loved old things with a history. And, um, I've always been obsessed with, like old houses like when I was a little kid I saw this movie called Baby Boom I had to have been maybe five years old and it's Diane Keaton and she leaves New York City and buys this old farmhouse in Vermont Mm -hmm. it should have been like a cautionary tale because (laughs) she moves in and literally like everything starts breaking and she's losing her mind and it's but I just fell in love with the idea of buying this an old farmhouse. Yeah. And so my whole life I've been like, I want to like move to New England and buy an old farmhouse and fix it up. And so um, that was basically my dream. And I, I love things that have a story that have patina that feel lived in and loved. And I love the idea of, of owning a home and being kind of a steward over it, a home that has like lived through the ages and, I, that's definitely how we feel about our home. Like we feel like we're just part of this long story of this home and um, that we want to honor it by, by bringing it back to life. And it's really, really fun to watch that or to make that process happen one project at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, and creating, you know, taking this home, like it, it in a lot of ways was, um, neglected in certain areas and then in some ways there were you know where they had done previous remodels in kind of a sloppy way where they sort of didn't stay true to the period of the home like that we can go back and kind of fix the things that were done that weren't really honoring like the age and the period of the home um but also make like bring it into modern life because one thing that I've realized especially living in New England is that you know, there's no such thing as like a net zero, like you're either like improving or you're either maintaining like and keeping things up or they're atrophying. And these homes that don't get taken care of, they start to atrophy and then eventually they get torn down. And so, um, you know, that is one thing that's 
it can be very difficult living in an old home because if you're not, you have to constantly be working on it. Otherwise, like it's deteriorating faster than you can fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I love being able to take this old home that has this long, long history and bring it into like now, um, make it livable now um, and comfortable to live in now while also kind of honoring um, the period of the home at the same time. Like it is, it is crazy to fix up an old house. Like the first time about a month after we moved in was the first time we took like a wall down to start working on the house. And that was Mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh, like, Whoa. Like we had no idea what we were in for until that moment. Like you pull the, it had this old paneling from like the sixties in it. So we took that down and like kind of a sloppily done mantle on this old stone fireplace. So we're like, Oh, this will be an easy first project. Take that old, (laughs) like, paneled wall down we'll take that um floppy you know mantle off and get it all fixed and we took it all down and it's like (gasps) what we found behind was like terrifying it was like (sighs) this is not these are not like two by four studs this is not like a steady like a secure wall and there were like old wires in there Mm -hmm. and it was the insulation was not normal it was horsehair because that's how they insulated homes like 150 years right. ago or whenever this part of the house had been done and so we were just like oh my gosh like oh my gosh what are we gotten ourselves into and we're like this will be easy this will take like two days and it was like a month to get it all oh. like we had to reinforce the old studs and you know re-insulate and rewire and then put a new wall up and a new mantle and it was like okay yeah <laughs> this is gonna be different and you kind of have to to just embrace like I don't now when I start any project I know in advance like there's going to be some point when I'm going to be like I have no idea how in the heck I'm going to fix this yeah (laughs) nothing is level you know so Mm -hmm. especially when you're working around you know when they built this home you know it's it's full of you can kind of see above me like yeah um hand-tuned beams you know they were done by hand so Right. Everything was built before they had precision tools. So mm-hmm. it's basically, you know, the fact that it's as level and secure as it is, is actually kind of shocking when you really think about it. But also right. it was built with like literal, literal tree trunks. So it's probably mm-hmm. never going to fall down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So that's living in an old house. It's crazy and fun and, and um, it's an adventure. So, yeah. Well, it's fun to live vicariously through everything that you do because <laughs> Between between Heavenly Father and my husband, there's like no chance we're we're moving out of this house <laughs> um, to experience an old home. But yeah, it's still fun to you know to see other people do it. I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fun if you um, don't have to live in it, right? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so thank you for indulging me. <laughs> um, you also created a beautiful clothing style. And I appreciate all the tips you have because I'm I'm short like you are. Or athletically <laughs> challenged if we want to be nicer about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so something I've noticed lately with online influencers, uh, especially with members of the church, is that once they become influencers, the modesty can become more slack. And I have I've noticed that with you, you've proved that you can have good style and stay true to such an important part of who we are, which which is modesty. That's an important thing to me. And um, 
I have a lot of respect for people that do that. And so um, why is creating a modest wardrobe important to you? Um, I would say, well, one, first, I think the most important thing for me is honoring promises that I have made with God. Um, you know, I, I heard someone once talking about, you know, their 10 year anniversary, someone had asked them like, Oh, are you going to renew your vows? And they were like, no, I said them once and I meant them. We said Mm -hmm. them the first time and we met them. And that's sort of how I feel about the covenants that I've made with heavenly father. Um, and I personally have made covenants to wear certain things, (laughs) you know, and not wear certain things. And so, um, to me, I find like, it doesn't mean that it's easy, like all the time. I mean, especially in like the New England summer, it's very hot and humid. And you're like, there are no clothes that cover, you know, go down to your knees or mm-hmm. like, they just don't exist. Um, but I think, you know, Christ gives us like a really strong, um, you know, call to action in the Bible when he says, like, if you want to follow me, like, take up your cross and follow me. Like, he's saying, like, it is not going to be easy to follow him. You're not choosing like the easy life, but just because something isn't easy doesn't mean that it's not worth doing and it's not worth like being committed to. And I've also found that some of my biggest creative moments have come out of like the challenge of having Mm -hmm. to remain like, you know, stay true to the covenants and to the promises that I've made. So I started designing clothes because I could not find dresses that were both like that would cover the um, cover me in the way that I ne- I wanted and needed to be covered, but that also fit my very small frame. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like where I learned to design clothes. And then out of that grew like a whole amazing experience for me. And I don't know that I ever would have been um, compelled to grow in that way and to learn that skill and to develop that talent if I hadn't needed to to like solve a problem by staying, you know, committed to that, you know, promise that I had made. Um, Yeah. So to me, I just think it's worth it. Like any time where we, you know, Heavenly Father asks things of us. I I talk to my kids about this a lot. He asks things of us and everything that he asks us to do um, will always be something that will edify you, that will help you to grow, that will help you to become more. And, you know, my whole life, I have just felt that I care the most about what Heavenly Father thinks of me and what I'm doing. And if I know that I am doing what he wants of me, then it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. Right. So that's just kind of how I direct my path. Like I want to always be like dressed in a way that like, if I was to run into the figure, I wouldn't feel like, oops. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I tell my kids like be the same person with all the time. Like you don't want to be, you know, a devil at home and an angel abroad or vice versa. Like you, right. you should be the same person, no matter, you know, at all times and in all things and all places. And the great thing about being the same person all the time is that you don't have to try to impress people. You don't have to try to prove something or prove or convince people that you are something that you're not. You're just who you are at all times. And so, yeah. you know, it doesn't really matter like how many people follow me on social mm-hmm. media. Like it won't change my, my standards or my standards, like whether I had like one follower or a million, you know, it's just right. who I am in my core and it doesn't really. Okay. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And you mentioned like 
me in hot places. I grew up in Southern California and I live in <laughs> South Carolina now. And oh my we, goodness, South yeah. Carolina. We went there in the summer. It was a bad uh, time to come. <laughs> 2020. And I was like, how do people live here if they aren't just in a swimming suit in the pool all the time? <laughs> I, I know. I know. I, you know, yeah, we've lived in Florida too. So we've kind of experienced all manner of heat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, so it, Yes, I'm sure like living in New England where it gets really cold um, during the winter, you just kind of get used to it. That's I look at people that live up north and I'm like, I don't know how you could live there. I'd rather I'd rather be sweating <laughs> like crazy during the summer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I'm definitely the opposite. I like love to be cozy. So I'd rather be cold and have like layers on than, you know, <laughs> be yeah. sweating. But in New England, you kind of get both. So, <laughs> yeah. But I've never, I've never been up to New England, so I don't know what it's like there besides pictures and videos. <laughs> it's very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, all right. So the creative process can come with both failures and successes. So um, as you've created, what would you say is a failure you've experienced, like a major failure? And what is something um, that you look back on and just, you're just like, tickled to death with how it turned out. Yeah. Um, So I would say there is a moment of failure in every single thing I've ever created. Like when people ask me, when they, they reach out and ask me about like learning to sew, I tell them like, you need a sewing machine and you need a seam ripper. I don't think I've sewed ever sewed anything. And I've sewed thousands of pieces of clothing and I've, and things for my home and, um, I've, I've sewed so many things I couldn't even count like over, you know, the last, you know, however many years, 30 years since I started sewing. Yeah. And I have never once sewed something where I haven't like had to seam rip at least one thing in that project. Like mm-hmm. I fail every single time I'm creating. And to me, um, I think failure is such an important part of the creative process. Yeah. Like that is how you learn if you are not failing while you're creating you are not pushing yourself to, to be better and to learn more. Um, you're just, you know, being safe. Every project, every design I do in my home, there's a moment where I'm like, that's not working. I need to fix that. Or, you know, if I'm, even when I'm baking, like, there's yeah. always a moment where I'm like, something's not, I need to put this different or this is not quite the way I want it. Um, so to me, I would say, every every creative project that I everything I create there's a moment of there's some element of failure and learning and it just to me I actually learn the most in the failure failure moment so I really really enjoy I mean in the moment it's sort of like but I've really learned to lean into that moment of like you know for example I'm hanging um vertical shiplap in my boys room right now and yesterday I was putting the trim up and I have to work around these old beams. And one of them is a little bit lower than the other ones. And so mm-hmm. I had to figure out like how to kind of like mold the the top trim around that. And it was like, I'm like sitting there kind of like, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. How am I going to do this? Like, mm-hmm. and, but I was able to figure it out. So um, to me, I get an insane amount of joy from just being in the process. Like I always tell my kids, like embrace the process, like embrace, don't look for that after so much, like really lean into the, like 
the process of what you're doing and and find joy like in the like tedious parts of making something or working on something if you can I feel like that's one of those like secret of life things that nobody tells you or nobody teaches you it's like to really lean in to all those like tedious moments where you have to be patient and where it's taking longer than you thought it would or it's way harder than you thought it was going to be Mm. or there's way more steps or yeah oh that didn't work you have to go fix it and start over on this one part um if you just lean into like the the process way more than the result um you're going to get so much joy for the from the whole experience Mm. and then when it's finished you know every moment in my house every every little pocket of I like to call them you know pocket of delight or flashes of delight around my home like when I again with the words (laughs) yeah I feel like this explosion of joy every time I see them or walk into the room and and especially if I can create something that is beautiful but also functional for my family and I can see that it's making their life better that it's making the spaces that they're in more beautiful but also making it easier for them to live in their spaces. Yeah. Uh, it's just like the best, <laughs> best thing. Yeah. So, yeah. There, there's, there's a huge sense of joy. Um, I think from working through those failures to get to the point where it just feels good and right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've definitely experienced, I, I'm obsessed with gardening and I, I've definitely ex- experienced a lot of failures. <laughs> Uh, same (laughs) (laughs) Um, but when you get like right now I have a small splash of daffodils that are in my backyard and and that's something that I got right and also something that I'm learning from because I I've learned that I need like a way bigger splash of daffodils next yes (laughs) because they bring such a brightness and joy and hope at the end of so it's kind of a, like winter can be drab, right? Especially oh, yeah. in the South where we don't get snow, we don't have that yeah. <laughs> break of beauty. And so when we get, when we get daffodils, that's like, okay, spring is coming and spring is coming. Happy. <laughs> I would love that they're the first thing that, you know, daffodils and tulips are the first. Yeah. Pop out of the ground. We have a bunch of wild daffodils that grow all over our property. Oh man. And they just kind of start coming up. And um, I think they're, considered like the flower of hope so I was thinking oh look see they they pop up and they give you hope so (laughs) did you know that daffodils point towards the sun I did know that yeah very cool I love flowers that do that I think it's yeah so so cool a little bit of symbolism there (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) okay I'm glad other people like daffodils they make me happy (laughs) (laughs) yeah I could I could probably talk about them all the time right now. Maybe it's because it's like the only flowers that are blooming, but um. right. <laughs> and they're definitely not blooming here yet. Uh, we've had like a very disappointing winter, no snow, but it's oh, just been gray. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, it could be spring. I'm ready to get my garden started. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you like to garden, um, like yes. vegetable garden, or just in general. I have a massive garden. Um, so I have a, it's like 4,000 square feet. Um, oh, wow. But so I do a very large cut flower garden mm-hmm. and then I do um, a huge veggie garden and then I have a pumpkin patch too. So, oh, fun. Yeah. Last year it was just so shameful because I had a new baby and it was just 
I just did not, you know, having like a brand new baby and the way that our property is like, he was a very fussy baby for the first six months. So I, he just wanted, I mean, he just, he just wanted to be held, you know, all the time. And it's so, it was so hot and so humid last summer and very like dry. We usually get more rain and it kind of like clears the air out and Mm -hmm. cools it down a little bit, but we just didn't get a lot. And so my garden got so neglected. Yeah. sometimes it's like that year this year I'm gonna be better but yeah I love to grow I just like I just started four five years ago and okay I don't know I was completely hooked by it I absolutely love to garden so yeah yeah. I have a cut flower garden too I just (laughs) actually bought seeds for it what do you like to put in your cut flower garden um well zinnias obviously are like yeah the best thing to grow mm-hmm. because they're so prolific and they grow right. you can just they cut and come again and come again um yep. dahlias I've been learning they're very difficult for me to figure out um yeah but I also grow cosmos and bachelor buttons and um a whole bunch of stuff uh snapdragons mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of all the different kinds yeah so <laughs> it's so fun they're like yeah. a burst of happiness every time you see them I love cut flowers yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, again I could talk about that all the time but probably <laughs> should continue um so what are some um so you have children on every side of the spectrum college yeah. student and a baby uh so yeah. Uh, what is some advice you tell a mother anticipating the stage of childhood at where they leave the nest? Like I am, well, I have a little bit of time. My daughter's starting high school next year and oh, I've started, so fast, I've started freaking out about it already. <laughs> yeah, I did. When my oldest started high school, I was like, oh my goodness, she's going to be gone so fast. Yeah. And honestly, that's exactly what it felt like. It felt yeah. like so fast. I like can't think about it too much because then I start to cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so what would, what would be some advice that you could give to moms anticipating that change? No, I would say to embrace what it is, you know, it, it's going to happen whether you want it to or not, your children are going to grow up. So don't fight it is you know, embrace the stage that you're in with your kids, whatever stage they're in. And it doesn't mean that you're done. I mean, some parts are done and that is hard. And I, I like definitely went through like a month of mourning. And then I went through it again after she, she was home for a month at Christmas break and then went back to school. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I feel like I had to, I feel like I was in mourning for like a week again. Like, ah got used to her being home and now she's gone again yeah but the truth is you know I think about the alternative and I'm like what would I want her not to grow up no I want her to become I want her to reach the fullest measure of her potential and part of that process is to launch into the world and to challenge herself in that way that it involves leaving her family becoming completely independent being able to figure things out and take care of herself as become self-actualized, you know, those things are the things that I want for my children. I want them more than I want them like to just keep them, (laughs) you know, I know that if I just kept them, it would be a tragedy because they would not reach the fullest measure of their potential. And my job as a mother 
even at the expense of my own desire mm. <laughs> of keeping them with me all the time is to help them reach the fullest measure of their potential. And, and so when I think about the like meaning behind what she's doing and the reason it makes it a lot easier for me to embrace it and just to be cheering for her and supporting her and be excited for her instead of just like, Oh, you're leaving me. How could you leave me? You know, you know, I mean, everybody wants to feel that their parents want them with them. And, and she definitely knows that. Mm -hmm. But I also want her to feel that like, that you go and live like your biggest, most wonderful life. Like we will be there to have your back and to come to you when you need it and um yeah so just embrace what it is you're not done being their parents just because they leave you're just in a different season with them and it's actually kind of an amazing amazing experience to have an adult child like it changes the dynamic a little bit and it's if you kind of lean into that it's just it's completely magical because you can still remember them as this tiny little baby and I like remember what Hannah felt like in my arms like as this squishy little baby and it feels like yesterday that I was just holding her and now Mm. she's like grown up and yeah it's it's kind of magic to see her go from go through the whole spectrum of childhood and now be this amazing amazing young adult and you know off pursuing a life and working hard and figuring out how to solve problems she's getting ready to serve a mission in a few months Mm. which is like oh no (laughs) you're really leaving now (laughs) um it's really really cool and if you kind of lean into that it it really makes it wonderful so yeah when you when you were describing all of that uh what came to mind was the whole plan of happiness right like Mm -hmm. this is exactly what heavenly father did for us that we couldn't grow and become what we needed to become without coming to earth and experiencing yeah, it without, exactly. without him. Like we had to grow up too. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I talk to my kids about that when they're approaching all their like life decisions, kind of like trying to understand like what they should do with their life or, you know, what they should study. And I think I, I tell them to think about it in terms of like the plan of happiness, the plan of salvation where, we're meant to become more than we were when we, when we came here. So, you know, look at the talents that you were given and how could you use those and cultivate them? How could you develop more and develop into more and use that as kind of like a framework to make life decisions um, to create the life that yeah. Heavenly Father wants you to create, um, you know, because he, you know, and, and going to your Heavenly Father to, for guidance in creating that life because he will help you become more than you could ever imagine you could become, I believe, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, and sometimes it's hard to see, like hard to see them make the decisions because <laughs> you might want something different. Cause you don't mm-hmm. see, you know, what, what they see necessarily <laughs> or like, and we have two choices for high school here in our town, there's a magnet school. And so you can apply to go to the magnet school. And um, I didn't want my daughter to do that because the other school is like really close to us. And there's an orchestra program there and she plays the violin. And so like, to me, that seems like the perfect fit for her, but she wanted to go to this other school and I had to yeah. let her do it. Yeah. And, uh, 
that's a part of motherhood and like I can see the benefits of her going there as well but um but yeah it's it's and it's important to help them make those decisions but to let them make them as well yeah oh it's scary <laughs> it's hard you're like ah. uh-huh yep um okay the other question I had tied to that all is um what is some advice you would have for a mom who um may have found out she's expecting and her other children are older. Okay. (laughs) So first thing I would say is like, you should just be so excited. Because to me, I never would have, you know, so I have an 18 year old, she's gonna be 19 this summer. And then I have a 17 year old and a 15 year old. And then we have a five year gap. And we have a 10 year old. And then we have a one year old. And um, there we never meant to have a five year gap in the middle of them, but we had some secondary infertility. And then um, after my 10 year old was born, we had a stillborn baby girl. Um, And so that mixed with a lot of, um, so that, you know, I was a process of healing from that great, you know, physically and um, emotionally. And then when I was finally ready to try again to have a baby, I found out I had Graves disease and mm-hmm. I had I lost several babies in a row and it took several years mm-hmm. before I was able to have Finn and so I was kind of thought our kids would be born you know within a couple of years of each other and that's yeah. just not the way that it happened for our family and now I feel like that was such an amazing gift from Heavenly Father because um, your family the way that you, your family culture is way more important than the distance between your kids in terms of their ages and um, relating to like how close they are and your experience as a family. And I think it is just so fun and special and, and very, very magical Mm -hmm. (laughs) to go back to the beginning after being a mother for so long. I appreciate I'm enjoying his baby stage so much more than I did with my older kids. And I loved the baby stage with all of them. I absolutely loved it. But it is like on a whole different level coming back to it again um, and really, truly understanding that that little baby is going to become this other, this person. And, And I think that all these stages of motherhood are so like cool And it's so fun to watch your children become and to grow into like them and like to kind of be able to go back to the beginning, knowing the potential that there is just, it just makes it all so much more like every day, all of us are just like, he's so cute. (laughs) And I don't remember like being mind blown all the time, all day long, every day by how cute my kids were. Even though I look back at pictures, I'm like, oh yeah, they were all that cute. But like, it's just every little thing he does feels like just completely like so incredible. And it's just such a great experience. Like it's such a gift to be able to start again. And you just, it's like I was saying, you just have to embrace what it is. Like, yeah, you know, we had a baby at my daughter's high school graduation that was like mm-hmm. five or six months old, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, w- I was taking her on a college visit pushing a stroller and I was like this is interesting (laughs) you know I'm like helping her get ready for her senior prom and I'm like hold on I gotta go nurse the baby really quick and then I'll finish her hair you know it's just you just have to embrace 
what it is and Mm -hmm. it's going to be different than lots of people and it's okay to be different. So yeah, yeah, but it's so awesome. Just be excited because it's so much fun and it's so fun for the siblings to be able to like be so like the other day, you know, Ava was saying, I kind of wish I had a sibling that was really close to me in age, like that I could really play with. And I was like, I know I wish too. I wish that Ruby had lived that she hadn't Mm. been stillborn, but like but think about how special it is like you are going to completely remember Finn as a baby you're going to remember changing his diapers and helping him brush his teeth and she's very hands-on with him and I'm like if you were you know three when Finn was born you wouldn't remember anything about him being a baby so it's really special that you get to have this experience with him she was like yeah it is special it's so cool you know yeah yeah I uh that is that is something I think about often not, not that this is like an announcement or anything. It's not, but I um, <laughs> when like think about how I would react because it's been five years. My my son is five, my youngest, and uh, and I've not ever considered adding any other kids because I had pretty uh, I had suffered from postpartum depression with him, yeah, uh, and so that was a challenge that I don't know if I ever want to face again. But yeah, there is an exciting thing that comes from babies. You know, they're they're yeah. so they come straight from heaven, and that's so special. Yeah. And seeing and it's I, not, it's definitely not easy. I yeah. mean, it's very difficult to bring a baby into the world. And I just try to like go back to like that. You know, the hard, challenging things are the things that edify us. Like the things that teach us the most. The things that help us to grow like Mm -hmm. whether it's in whatever way and I feel like those things are the thing you know holding on to the meaning you know Viktor Frankl talks about this in his book Man's Search for Meaning where he says like you know that we can kind of as humans can endure almost anything if there's like a mean behind it he he um I don't know if you're familiar with his work but he was a he was a Holocaust survivor and a, okay. like a world renowned psychologist, but he talks about how he got through um, Auschwitz by basically like kind of, he, he was like living for his wife who was also, you know, who ended up having been killed in the concentration camp. But the idea that he yeah. was like living for his wife kept him going and kept him decent through all of the horrors that he was going through mm-hmm. because he had this meaning, a bigger meaning that he was, living through and so to me and that's one thing about motherhood that all the things that are like very challenging and exhausting and overwhelming about motherhood like when I can attach a bigger meaning to it um it makes it kind of turns all of those things around for me and makes yeah. them something that's joyful and creative I guess <laughs> you know yeah uh Elder Bednar often teaches that we're um agents that can act and yeah and so we're very capable of making the choice to see something as a joy versus seeing something as, um, you know, the opposite, something that is a burden and, and yeah. just in your way or whatever. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's not easy to make that decision. No, it's not. Possible it's for not. sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I was going to ask you what your favorite thing is about being a mother, but I feel like magic is probably the the thing that you love about being mother it's all it's it's full of magic I don't know if I'm putting those words in your mouth but 
No, that's um, for sure. I would say just the magic of watching your child become like, you know, seeing, I feel like the moment I became pregnant with each of my kids, I like knew even before, even weeks before I could take a test and find out, yeah. I just had this feeling that somebody was with me. Mm-hmm. And when I, when they're born, I feel like you're like, oh, hello. I knew you. I kind of knew that was you. And then as they've grown up, I'm like, yep, that was you. That was always you. And, mm-hmm. and seeing them go from this tiny, squishy little baby to like a person that has thoughts and feelings and ideas and a whole like personality and potential is just like the most incredible, amazing experience of my life. And I'm like, mm-hmm. also like, I made you. That's amazing. <laughs> like, look at you. You're like so cool. And I made you. Yeah. <laughs> I did that. Me in my body. Yeah. <laughs> that this body made you and now you're here and you're just out there doing these things that are so cool. And I did that. I made you. Yeah. And now you're you, you know, I, I know. love it's that. Never, never stopped blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I know it, it really doesn't. Um, okay. So this is a surprise question that I added today. If this <laughs> is okay with you. Yeah. Of course. Um, so uh, I know that you suffer from Graves disease I don't know necessarily everything that entails, but I imagine that um, some days can be harder than others um, and that it doesn't necessarily go away. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I I suffer from fibromyalgia and this, this week in particular has been quite difficult. And I find myself sitting a lot and not doing the normal things that a mother would do like cleaning the house or um, different things like that and finding myself not being able to help my children when I need when they need it or whatever and so I would imagine that you probably have times where you experience that too and so my question is um, how do you handle those days and still feel like you're fulfilling your role as a mom and wife without falling into the pits of despair and <laughs> as I say that because that's what I feel like this week it's just kind of been mm-hmm. one of those like um, yeah, it's weird juxtaposition of, of being in the pits of despair, but then also being able, it's, it's helped me stop and see my children and see, you know, see life and the beauty that it is, even in yeah. the pits of despair, I guess. Yeah. I 100% understand that, um, same with graves, like you'll go through kind of flare ups. Um, like I was dealing with one the last couple like a couple weeks ago, my endocrinologist was like, your levels are really good. Let's try cutting back your medication a little bit, um, which made <laughs> me flare up. I also have Graves' eye disease, so um, it can cause all kinds of issues with that as well. Um, but I was just not feeling well. And when I first um, was diagnosed with Graves, I was so tired. I could hardly get out of bed a mm. lot of t- days. And um, that was just not normal for me. Um, to, I mean, I don't like to sit still. Like I have a really hard time on my beach vacations because like after like a day, if I finish my yeah. book, I'm like, okay, let's do something. Like I don't like laying around or sitting around or not me being productive. Too. It drives me crazy. Um, but one of the things that's helped me is to understand that one, my worth is not attached to my productivity level. Um, that those two things are unrelated. and um, 
And to also like understand, remind myself on those days where I'm not feeling good of all the days, like where I do feel good and where, you know, one day isn't going to make or break um, or one week isn't going to make or break your life or your family. Um, if you, if you have to rest, to rest, mm-hmm. you know, I love to get my kids, you know, they, I want them to feel a stewardship and an ownership over our home. And so mm-hmm. when I'm, needing help, you know, I ask them to help and they help and they actually like it. You know, I mean, if you give your kids a chance, you know, I mean, I, I stuff out there that I just really don't appreciate the way that people talk about kids, like, oh, they just have yeah. an attitude. They don't help. And I'm like, that's not true. Like, why are we going to put that negative energy around our children? Like they're, they want to become more I mean, yeah. how would you feel if someone was like, you're fine the way you are. You don't even need to, you're, you just have an attitude and it's just what I expect from you. Like, yeah. I don't expect that of my kids. I expect them to have a good attitude. I expect them to be respectful and to be helpful. So if, you know, if the baby, it, I expect them to help with the baby and to get up after dinner and help with the dishes. And so, and they do it, you know, and I, yeah. I think that they feel good knowing that they have that expectation that they're expected to be a contributing member of the family and having like our kids be contributing members. Like you see like, oh, if I'm not feeling well, like one of my kids will step up and make dinner. And yeah. and that, that I don't have to feel guilty about that. That's what that's I mean, at some point, I'll, I will feel guilty about it. You know, and I have to remind myself, like, no, this is what this is what it means to be in a family that means that when one of us is down, the rest of us have their back. And, um, and that my role as a mom isn't just to like be there to do everything for my kids to help them to take part and be contributing members of our family, and then eventually their own families and society and whatever, God's kingdom, all those things. So um, yeah, and there's this quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson that I um, have on my wall. And it's like, it says like, write it on your heart that every day is the best day of the year. Like, um, you know, finish every day and be done with it. Like, like some things might've gone wrong, you know, I'm butchering it, but he's like, Mm. let it go and start again, basically every day. So when things, when my, when my health isn't great and I have to like, kind of take a week, I just try to remind myself, like, this isn't my whole life. This is just one day or this is just one week and things have been better in the past and they'll get better again. And even the son of God, had to endure humanity, like had to come down here and suffer. And God loved him enough, you know, God loved him the most. And he sent him down and he had to suffer so much. So I mean, having to suffer doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It just means that he's trying to help you to become more. And if I look at it from that frame of mind, like this is an opportunity instead of just a trial, then it has purpose. And I'm able to endure it better I guess yeah be a little bit more positive <laughs> yeah yeah I I love that I uh because when you're in the thick of it sometimes you can feel like a burden to your family oh yeah and uh <clears throat> so I love twisting that to think no like they're part of the family and it's okay if yeah. they it's okay yeah. if they I mean it's, this is okay. an opportunity for them to learn to serve and to yeah. think outside you know the outward thinking it's very easy for children and especially for teenagers to get really busy in their own stuff and to sort of become inward thinking and we're always working to like help them think outside of themselves and think about how they're helping to contribute to the family 
and to contribute yeah. to those around them. And so, you know, I always think about it. It's not, it's not, it's an opportunity for them to show up and to serve. And anytime I've had the opportunity to serve as a mother, serving all the time, all day, every day, has yeah. fundamentally changed and improved me as a person. And why would I like, you know, deprive my children of the opportunity to also grow in that way by allowing them to serve me, to serve our family, to serve their siblings and their dad, you know, in a way that will help them to grow, you know, and to be aware of like other people's needs. Yeah, that's such a good thought. And um, so yesterday I decided I was going to try and do some vacuuming for the I hadn't done anything for like a week and you know it starts to show when you have a family of six and uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you for you don't ask for help because you're too prideful <laughs> and so I'm sitting here vacuuming crying because I'm in pain while I'm vacuuming and two of my children volunteered to vacuum for me and I told them no because <laughs> I wanted to actually you know do it myself because I hadn't and but looking back like it would have been such a good teaching moment for them you know such a good experience for them to serve their mother and so of course like the rest of the day I like I saw that yesterday and realized that I needed to be better about letting them help me and uh like they do they do want to help and they do want to be there for you and uh so anyways yeah (laughs) uh I probably shouldn't share such personal things but oh well personal Um, is important yep so, and when you're in the thick of it, that's just everything you think about. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. So, but thank you for answering that question. That helped give me some perspective. Um, so to finish out my interviews, I always ask the same two questions. The first one being, um, so Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of everything. And so um, can you think of an instance in his life um, where he was an example of what it meant to be a guardian of creativity or a guardian of the family? Um, Well, obviously, definitely when he tells us, you know, when he gives us the new law to love God and then love one another, I feel like that's like the fundamental um, way that he was a guardian of the family, giving us like the the most simple, basic principle that, um, would would help your family to would would guard and um I guess you know protect the family is if you love God then you obey him and his and his laws mm-hmm. and um and to love each other you know so if we're living in a, in like alignment with Heavenly Father's um laws then we're going to be doing right by our family like kind of by default and then if we love one another um then we're treating each other in the right kind of ways and that to me will be the best way to guard the family um in terms of a guardian of creativity i just i'm always it's interesting because i'm reading the new testament this year and i decided i was just going to read it straight through like instead of kind of like going back and forth and i just think that i just love i mean obviously i love the savior but i just think he's also so cool like yeah he's so different than anybody you know the way that he approached teaching and Mm. healing and being was so different and so revolutionary and I think he was so creative in the way that he taught he taught in stories and symbols and um 
you know, he just was, you know, obviously incredible um, and so cool. And I just think that he's the way that he taught us very, you know, simple and also complicated principles through um, symbolism and through stories was just so creative. And mm. um, so to me, in that way, he's definitely a guardian of creativity. <laughs> I love that. See, when I thought about creativity, I very obviously probably thought about the creation of the world. And, and I love thinking, of course, you would, because you love stories <laughs> and yeah. uh, literature, like, that is it's such a he was so creative in the way he taught and the parable I was listening to um Elder Bednar's talk from last conference this morning um where he talks about the parable of the wedding feast is that what it's called uh-huh I think so and uh like even that was such a creative way to teach that you know like you have to make the choice to put on the wedding garments if you want to yeah you know be chosen and yeah well and it's I think it's so crazy because even you know over 2,000 years later it's like we were reading about um you know that you don't put new wine in the old wine bags and kind of talking to our 10 year old about you know what that meant like that he was bringing a new way of being and that we had to be different so that the new way of being you know and like she brought that up the other day oh and I was like this is amazing like that that you know, you know, she was like, Oh, it's kind of like, you know, you can't put new wine in an old bag, it won't fit, it will burst, you know, we have Mm. to be different, because the old way of being doesn't fit. You know, if we if we're trying to be new, be different, then we have to be different inside, because the new way of being won't fit in our old self. And I was like, "Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's amazing. (laughs) That that he could make a very complicated, what could be a very complicated idea or principle simple enough that a child can understand it but that it also can have a massive impact on, on literally anyone whose heart is open and ready to learn. So. Yep. And yeah. And it like can have an impact at different, like in different stages of your testimony, right? Like you yeah. see in the story, what, what you can see in the story. And so yeah. uh, if you can just see, for example, the miracle where he turned water into wine and like, you just see that that's a cool miracle. Then that's amazing, you know, but you yeah. could also see that like his mom asked him to do something that he wasn't quite comfortable with doing yet, but he did it because he loved his mom. Like that's another yeah. Yeah. story and, you know, different things like that. There's so many. And again, a master of creation yeah. would be able to <laughs> create these stories and these experiences that only, only a guardian of creation could do. Yeah. So I, lo- oh, I love those thoughts. Um, <laughs> You have given me so much to think about today. Like, this is one of the things I love about doing this podcast that surprised me, I guess, because I've only been, February is my second month that I've been oh, wow, doing cool. this. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but I've learned so much from everyone that I talk to and it's fun to see a different way to think about things and yeah. definitely experience that with you. Okay. My final question. Uh, this is a very much like getting to know you question, I guess, in a weird way, but, uh, cause you know, you ask people their favorites. Um, and so if you could pick someone past or present who you think is a guardian of creativity or a guardian of the family, who would you pick and why? Oh, goodness. Oh, um, I probably would, um, 
I probably would choose my grandma, my grandma, Dorothy dot. Mm -hmm. Um, she was my mom's mother. She had nine kids. Um, she was like very creative. Um, and I don't know, she just had a strength and an ability to make things that was, um, she just had this amazing talent. She was like an incredible, incredible seamstress, but she, I don't know. She just had a lot of like fire in her. She, you know, was able to do things that I find very inspiring all these years later. And um, she created this massive family. You know, she has hundreds and hundreds of great grandchildren. Now she passed away when I was in high school, but um, you know, she was just a brave, brave woman who was like, you know, creatively brave and, you know, brave enough to when my, you know, my grandfather worked on the railroad and when the work, they lived in Colorado and when the work dried up, he had to, they had to move their family out to California for mm -hmm. the railroad. And um, this is like in the mid fifties and they were very poor. And my grandma basically had to drive across like three states in this old car. It was like something from the grapes of wrath, you know, with mm -hmm. just by herself with, mm -hmm eight kids and she was mm. pregnant with her ninth and she just figured out how to do it and you know there's all these cool stories that you know, my mom has told me about my grandma and um and then what I knew from her she just made me feel very loved and she had like over 50 grandkids and yet mm. I always felt like she knew me and loved me you know and to now that I'm a mom with only five kids <laughs> compared to nine and then all those grandkids I'm like how she was able and I know that all of my cousins felt that way yeah. around her and my grandpa that she was able to make them us all feel that we were seen and special like is 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 a talent and I really yeah you know she's amazing she's the woman that taught me how to sew and yeah um got me really like understanding how much I loved to work with my hands and and what a good thing it was to create things that didn't exist before and and the joy that can come from doing that you know so I guess I would say my grandma <laughs> I love that so much grandmas are amazing I love it well thank you Corey our time is almost up so thank you <laughs> thank so you. much uh, for joining me today and for just giving me so many good things to think about great so. thank you all right have a good Bye. day Thank you for listening to this episode of the Guardians of Virtue podcast. Please don't forget to give us a follow. And if you have time, please leave a review. Peace out, dudes.